Good morning. morning. It's great to be with you all this morning. And uh, just happy to be here praising uh, the Lord on another Sunday morning. There's more of you here today, and I'm very much encouraged by that. So uh, we've had a bit of a run over the past uh, two or three weeks, but uh, we're, we're getting better, it seems, and I'm grateful for that. So uh, today we'll be continuing our uh, study in the, the life of Samson, uh, Judges chapter uh, 13 through 16, uh, in a message that we're calling Samson's first uh, failed relationship. Uh, and so before we get into the word, uh, let's go ask the Lord for help. Uh, Lord, we do thank you uh, for healing. Uh, Lord, we've had a very difficult time over the past few weeks in our body uh, and the people who have uh, been infected. Uh, most of them are, are on the mend, Lord, and we're just grateful for your healing hand in their lives, Lord, and we pray that you continue to uh, bring them uh, toward fuller health and back to uh, our building here on Sunday mornings. And Lord, we also want to thank you for uh, Apopsy's surgery and uh, how well that went, Lord, having his heart valve replaced for the second time. And Lord, uh, he really seems to be doing great, and so we're so thankful for that. Lord, we pray for our uh, people and our troops over in Afghanistan. Lord, we pray that you will bring them home safely. Uh, Lord, uh, you are sovereign over that situation, Lord, and uh, you can rescue And we also pray for the people in New Orleans, Lord, who are facing a very serious hurricane uh, over the next several hours. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, somehow it will diminish or turn in a a direction out towards sea or just to help them, Lord, protect them. They've been through a lot. Uh, And now as we come to the word today, Lord, just give us your ears to hear. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come now, attend to the word, uh, teach us what you would have us to learn uh, through your gospel message, Lord, and and through this passage, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We used to warn our kids, don't get too close to the puddle or you will get splashed. Now, uh, the puddle itself is a metaphor. It can represent danger, like don't get in a car uh, with somebody who's been drinking, or it can represent uh, a crime or illegal activity. Uh, don't hang out with the kid who's going to go to 7-Eleven and, and steal candy. You're going you're to get busted with him. Uh, so that's the, the puddle, is the, the crime or the, or the danger. But the getting splashed is, is the sin, uh, the guilt, the consequences that come from being too close to the puddle. So like if you're with a kid who's smoking cigarettes, you're going to end up smelling like that and you're going to end up getting blamed for it whether you did it or not. Or if you're with a a group of kids who decides to throw eggs at your biology teacher's house because he gave you uh, pop quizzes five days in a row, uh, well, you're going to get busted for that even if you didn't actually throw any eggs. uh, You're guilty by association because you've gotten too close to the puddle. Well, the puddle can also be something that tempts us and actually leads us into sin so that it's not that we're actually guilty by association. We're actually guilty ourselves because we've allowed ourselves to get too close to the puddle of temptation. Uh, And that is something that we see uh, throughout the Bible. Eve is one example. Uh, Oh, there's the puddle, getting splashed with the puddle. Eve is one example. Uh, Eve held the apple, right? She looked at it, she felt it, she said, oh man, this thing looks good and and it's good for knowledge. So uh, she got too close to the puddle of temptation. She ate it uh, and that was a problem for her. Uh, David is another example, right? David should have been off with his men at war in the time when when men go off to fight at war. Uh, But as king, he decided to take his leisure. And there he is up on the roof uh, where he spies Bathsheba, uh, too close to the puddle. A temptation uh, took him. Disaster was right around the corner. And Samson is another example. He indulged in everything that he wanted, and he got too close to the puddle of lust 
and pride and anger, uh, Philistine women, uh, and he got himself splashed. Uh, And yet at the same time, incredibly, God will use all of this to further his own purposes. Now, when we think of Samson, uh, the first relationship that comes into our minds is Samson and Delilah, uh, because she's named and because she's uh, the more famous of the two stories. Uh, But the author of Judges actually devotes two whole chapters to this relationship uh, with the the, uh, pagan woman uh, from Timnah, even though she's unnamed, and the consequences that follow. Uh, So let's talk about uh, Samson in Timnah first of all. Uh, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go down to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She looks good to me. Well, the striking thing about these verses is is that uh, Samson decided to sin, but God still can use Samson's sin for his own purposes. Now, let's think about what we know about Samson already from what we uh, read and and studied last week in chapter 13. Uh, Chapter 13, I was supposed to read verse 4, I forgot that, sorry about that. Uh, However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. So now the striking thing is that God uses these things for his own purposes, even Samson's sin. So what we know about Samson from chapter 13 is that his birth was announced by an angel of the Lord who turns out to be God himself. Uh, He was set apart as a Nazarite from birth. His mission in life was chosen by God to begin to deliver his people from the hand of the Philistines. He was raised in a godly home by godly parents who wanted to cooperate with God. And he was blessed by God as a young child and empowered by the Spirit of God. Well, what else could you want, right? I mean, what else could you ask for? That's a pretty good beginning. So what went wrong? You imagine uh, from these verses, chapter 13, the parents, uh, Samson's parents raised him as a Nazarite according to the vow because we're not ever told anything otherwise. And I'm sure that Samson's parents told him all about uh, God's plans for him and the miraculous birth because his mother, of course, was barren. Uh, and he would have known these things since you are, he was old enough to understand. Uh, he would be told, uh, you are to be a Nazarite. Uh, and you are going to begin to deliver us from the hands of the Philistines. So what happened? What happened to Samson? Well, I think it's it's what might happen to any of us who who get puffed up by by these words of of what, uh, these predictions of greatness that that, that are uh, given to us about us. This is the danger of what might happen. I think he became proud, entitled, conceited, cocky, arrogant. All of these things, I think, happened to him. And I'm sure that he felt superior to everyone else because he had a special calling that the others didn't have. Now, Samson, of course, knew the law, right? Uh, He would have been raised knowing the law. He would have known passages like Exodus chapter 34, verse 16, or uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 3 and 4, which prohibit the Israelites from intermarrying with pagan women because they would turn them aside from the law. And so he would have known that. And yet the very first thing that we see Samson doing is he goes down to Timnah. Well, Timnah is Philistine territory. He should not have been there in the first place. He's intermingling with the pagans. 
That's a big puddle, and he's getting pretty close to it. And then the very first thing he says is, I saw a woman in Timnah, uh, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now go get her for me as a wife. Like, I mean, I don't talk to my parents like that. I don't know if you talk to your parents like that. Go get her for me, you know? Um, barking out commands as though, um, you know, they are his servants. Uh, she must have been very beautiful, I'm sure, but who marries somebody without ever even speaking a word to them, right? Uh, it just shows that uh, lust drove Samson's decision-making capacity. Uh, he was blinded by his lust. It made him impulsive. Uh, it made him unable to calculate the consequences of what he might be doing. Yeah, she looks good, but you know she's a Philistine. And, and all that comes with being a Philistine, those were some things that should have entered into his calculations. Well, his parents tried to do the right thing. They say, is there no woman among all of these women of ours that you could marry? You have to go and marry this uncircumcised, uh, this woman from the uncircumcised uh, Philistines? Well, uh, that meant something to Samson's parents. So circumcision was the covenant that God made with Abraham that set his people apart from the rest of the world. It was a mark that would distinguish them so that they would not be like the rest of the Gentiles. And so uh, Samson's parents knew that the Philistines are not God's people. They're, they're not our people. We don't intermarry with those people. But apparently, uh, Samson was very headstrong. And even though his parents tried to uphold the law, uh, Samson apparently won out. And so the first thing that he says is, go get her for me. And the second thing that he says is, get her for me. Uh, so uh, Samson's got something on his mind, right? Uh, he, he wants this woman. Uh, he wants her, his parents to get her for him. And then Samson says, she looks good to me, which in the Hebrew is actually, she is right in my eyes. Does that sound familiar to you? That is the familiar refrain that we hear throughout Judges, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. So we see early on in the first couple verses that Samson is a deeply flawed man. He disdained the law, right, going to get a Philistine woman. He disregarded his calling by trying to intermarry with the Philistines rather than to begin to vanquish them, which was his calling. And then he desired only to satisfy his own flesh. And all of these things are a recipe for disaster. But the key to understanding not only this passage, but Samson's entire life is in verse 4 here, where it says that uh, they did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines, because the Philistines were ruling over Israel. And so it's all about God's sovereignty, God's providence to ordain and even use human sinful decisions to further his purpose. God gave Samson free will to sin or not to sin, uh, but still God controls the outcomes. Yes, Samson sinned, but God is still bigger than our sin, and he can use it for good. And that's not to encourage us to sin, right? Paul said, we don't go on sinning so that grace may increase. But when we do sin, uh, God has a purpose. Even in that, he can use that. And so Sam Samson willfully broke the law, but God, it says here in verse 4, was seeking an occasion to stir up conflict with the Philistines. And that was the start to Samson beginning to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So God was able to use even Samson's lust uh, and his impulsiveness and his short-sightedness to achieve the goal of beginning to deliver Israel. And what it shows us is that we all have sin in our past, right? Every one of us has sin in our past. And even though that's true, God can redeem that sin. 
and he uses it for his own purposes. We'll still have to deal with the consequences of our sin, but if we have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Uh, having lived a sinful life before I came to Christ, I'm so thankful that there is now no condemnation now that we are in Christ Jesus. God has forgiven every sin we've committed and every sin we will commit, and somehow he will use it to further his kingdom. And we should hate our sin. But it is amazing that God can take even our sin, use it for his own purposes, work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Well, Samson's parents are in a real quandary, right? What do we do now? He's he's bent on marrying this Philistine woman. And it seems that Samson would not take no for an answer. Uh, They were already kind of close to the puddle, as we talked about last week, because the place that they lived in, Zora, was right next to uh, Philistine territory. So uh, they were living near the Philistines, but now they're about to get even closer. Uh, They went down to Timnah to get this woman for him. So verses 5 through 9. And Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came about as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing with him in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. And when he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Well, the author mentioned the vineyards for a reason. Do you notice that right in verse 5? The vineyard is a puddle for Samson, right? It's a puddle of temptation. It's a place where Samson might risk breaking his Nazarite vow. Now, we don't know if Samson did actually drink uh, when he was at the vineyard, but he put himself in temptation's path. And it seemed that he stopped there while his parents went on. They went down to Timnah uh, to arrange this wedding. Uh, and, T- and Samson is there in Timnah, in the vineyards of Timnah. But what else do you do in a vineyard except drink? I, I don't know. It doesn't say that he did, but uh, I think the author is leading us to, to perhaps imply that he did. Uh, but while Samson lingered there in, in the, at the vineyards, uh, this lion attacks. Uh, and, you know, if you see pictures of Samson, like portrayed in art, he's like this muscle-bound guy, right? Uh, head to toe with muscles on top of muscles, like uh, Popeye after he eats the can of spinach, right? He's got muscles bulging all over the place. Uh, but the truth is, the strength that he had was not in his muscles, right? The strength didn't come from his muscles. It was from outside of himself. Uh, Even Popeye got his muscles from the can of spinach, right? Uh, Samson's muscles and his strength came from the Lord. Uh, No one could kill a lion uh, with his bare hands unless there was some kind of supernatural power uh, going on. And so we learn here that uh, the supernatural power of the spirit came upon him. And this is the first time uh, that we know of in Samson's story that we hear of the spirit of the Lord coming on him. Well, what should Samson have learned? 
he should have learned that God was with him, protecting him, rescuing him, giving him supernatural strength as needed uh, to fulfill the purpose that God had given him for his life. He was to deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. And so that should have deepened his relationship with the Lord. It should have uh, given him further trust, further faith, uh, that he would be uh, able to be protected by God uh, by relying on God's strength. But, but sadly, it doesn't seem to have had that effect. Uh, it seems that Samson lived how he wanted, and then he called on the name of the Lord like Popeye and his can of spinach whenever he was in a time of need, like he would just draw on this uh, power when he needed supernatural strength. And you know, that doesn't look so different from our world today too, does it? Um, you know, sometimes we go about living our lives the way we live them, making decisions without consulting the Lord, uh, and we can get ourselves in, in, in lots of trouble uh, if we don't do that. Uh, we live our lives in our own power until we really mess them up, and then we say, God, deliver me from this mess that I have created for myself. Uh, I think what we learn from this is that it's right to do things God's way, and if we do things God's way, we'll have a lot less messes that we have to ask the Lord to get us out of if we just do it his way in the first place. Well, after Samson killed the lion, then he comes down to Timnah, and finally he has a conversation with this woman. And the phrase that's translated, she looks good to me, is literally, she was right in my eyes. Again, another echo, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, apparently all went well from Samson's perspective. She wasn't like so repulsive to talk to that he decided to call the thing off. Uh, he decides to go forward with it. He seals the deal with the woman, and then he goes back home again. And when he comes back later for the wedding feast, uh, he, it says that he stopped and he looked at the lion's carcass. Well, that's another puddle, right? He looked, he got too close to it, and then he goes and he scrapes the honey out of the lion's carcass. He should have left it alone, but he didn't leave it alone. He couldn't leave it alone. He, he saw it, he saw the honey, that it looked good to eat, uh, very reminiscent of Eve, and he went and scraped it out of the carcass. And so he goes along eating this honey, and when he meets his own parents, uh, he gave them some to eat too. Now, it's not actually crystal clear that this was a violation of the Nazarite vow because the Nazarite vow specifically talks about dead bodies, human bodies. Uh, but, uh, so when we're thinking about did he uh, violate the Nazarite vow by touching the dead body of a lion, uh, one of the purposes of the Nazarite vow was to avoid ceremonial uncleanness. We learn that in Numbers chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, but, and since touching the carcass of a dead animal would make one ceremonially unclean, uh, it's likely that uh, he did uh, break the Nazarite vow by scooping this uh, honey from the lion's carcass. And not only that, he, he knowingly uh, made his parents uh, unwittingly participate in this thing by giving them uh, the honey to eat as well. So what's clear from the first chapter and a half here is that his parents took the Nazarite vow very seriously, but Samson didn't take his vow seriously at all. He goes down to Timnah. He's hanging out in a vineyard. He's touching a lion's carcass. He's intending to marry a pagan woman. All these things brought Samson way too close to the puddle of temptation. His disregard for the law, his disregard for his vow, his sexual appetite, his pride, uh, they all continued to be his undoing, and, and Samson wound up neck deep in this puddle. 
But before we're too hard on Samson, and we, we will be hard on Samson throughout this study, uh, we have to remember that, that uh, Samson had the Holy Spirit come on him for a time and then go. And we see that frequently in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit comes on someone uh, for a particular purpose, for a t particular time, but it's not a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we have. We have the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling us, indwelling us if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And yet we still sin. Uh, so what we learn is that just the presence of the Holy Spirit alone does not prevent sin. It's not some magic elixir where we no longer sin. We will still sin. Uh, but we have the resource in the Holy Spirit to help us against sin. And uh, we have the power to resist sin. And yet somehow uh, we still uh, fall into it because whether we obey or not is up to us. Uh, as the song goes, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Uh, and so if we use the power of the Holy Spirit, if, if we listen to him and obey him, we will be much more successful against sin. All right, so Samson down in Timnah. Now, uh, Samson's riddle to the wedding party, verses 10 to 14. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 wraps, linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So it was customary for these Philistines to hold uh, a seven-day feast before the actual wedding itself. It was almost like a bachelor party. And in Samson's case, the groom provides the feast, uh, but it takes place at the bride's home. And so here, Samson's groomsmen were 30 Philistines from Timnah. So it seems that he didn't have any of his own friends, right? He didn't bring anybody with him uh, to be part of his wedding party. I had 13 guys in my wedding party because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I wanted to include everybody in my wedding party. Samson couldn't come up with a single friend. Uh, maybe it was his character that had something to do with that. We don't know. So his wife uh, supplies the 30 Philistines, his wife's family. And what we learn uh, is that the word for feast in Hebrew, this particular word, actually means a drinking banquet. Uh, so again, the author doesn't say specifically that Samson drank at this drinking banquet, but a seven-day drinking banquet and he's going to stand in the corner teetotaling? I doubt it very much. Uh, so again, he waded deep into the puddle. And so Samson decides to antagonize his wedding party with this riddle. You know, if I were marrying into this family, I might say, you know, this is going to be my family now. Maybe I should, you know, do what I can to make friends with them, get to know them a little bit. But uh, Samson had no, uh, no, no thought that he would want to do that. Uh, he wanted to show that he was smarter than them, that he was superior to them, uh, and so he could lord this over them, so he could lord this riddle over them. And so he proposes this wager, a riddle, that they have seven days to solve. And the stakes, well, 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. The 30 linen wraps would be large sheets of expensive fabric, and uh, the Hebrew word for these changes of clothes actually means uh, 
uh, your Sunday best, uh, fine suits of clothes. This was expensive garments, and so these were very high stakes indeed. Now, Samson craved the wealth, and he craved the status that would come from owning these garments. And if he won, it would be a constant reminder as he strutted around in his new suits of clothes that he had bested these Philistines, right? They would be a constant reminder that he was better than them, superior to them, because they could not solve his riddle. Now, it seems that he never considered that he might actually lose the bet and how he would go about paying the bet, uh, but that was not his concern right now. Uh, right now, he's not seeking the things of God. He's seeking the things of the world, status, wealth, superiority. Uh, and yet still, God uses these things for his purposes. So Samson tells his riddle on the first day of the feast. They have seven days to figure it out. The clock is ticking. So Samson's wife manipulates him, verses 15 through 18. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, you only hate me and do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother. Should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. Then she told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer you would not have found out my riddle. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> not the uh, basis of a strong marriage, right? It's a shaky foundation at best. Well, it seems like the men had racked their brains for three days trying to figure out this riddle until they realized we are not going to figure out this riddle in our own power. And we have four days left. The clock is ticking. So it shows the depth of their hatred and contempt uh, for Samson the Israelite that they threatened to burn his betrothed and her father and their house. These are Philistines. This is their people. They did not want to lose to Samson. This would have, they would have done anything not to lose uh, this bet. Uh, so they even accuse her of being in on the scheme to try uh, to, to uh, win this bet over them. And they, they say to her, uh, did, did you invite us to this wedding party just so that we could get trapped in Samson's riddle? And so that's why they threatened her. Now, we know for, as the, from the reader's perspective that she wasn't in on the scheme, but she obviously believed that the Philistines would do what they threatened to do, uh, which speaks to their ruthlessness, and she was well aware of it. So the pressure was on. She had to get Samson to reveal this secret, or she knew she was a dead woman along with the rest of her family. Now, interesting here, the author calls her his wife, even though they were not yet technically married. Uh, the marriage wouldn't become binding until the seventh day when the ceremony would happen and then the marriage would be consummated. Uh, so they were not actually married at this time. Uh, but she pestered him relentlessly. And Samson initially mounts a defense, saying, I haven't even told my own parents. You think I'm going to tell you? Which shows that this sham of a marriage was built on something less than covenantal love, right? When we get married, uh, our, our, our bond, our fidelity becomes to our wives. Uh, in Samson's case, uh, his first loyalty was to himself, right? Always Samson's first loyalty is to himself. 
Then it was to his parents. But he never intended to leave his father and mother and cleave to this wife, as Genesis 2.24 tells us. Uh, he, he was always in this for himself because she looked good to him. She was right in his eyes. But we'll give Samson a little bit of credit. At least initially, it shows his wisdom in not trust, trusting her with his secret because he probably had the sense at this point that he was, she was going to reveal the answer to the Philistines. Well, what we see in Samson's marriage or uh, proposed marriage to his wife, it, it's almost a microcosm of the relationship between Israel and the Philistines. They lived amongst each other, but there was no trust between them. They were enemies. And so it just goes to show us that, that when, we, when we think about uh, marrying uh, somebody who does not share our faith, there are going to be problems. And there were going to be problems in this marriage here. Uh, they, they had different worldviews. They had different motivations that, that set their course of action. And so they each were out to protect their own interests. Samson, of course, he wants these 30 garments, and he wants these 30 suits of clothes. He wants to lord it over uh, her people. She wants to save her family uh, by extracting this riddle, and that was her first allegiance. And now here we are. It's the seventh day. The clock is ticking. There are only hours remaining. Samson only has to hold out until dark. And yet she wore him down with her persistent manipulation. Uh, you can almost hear the tone of her voice. You don't love me. You don't love me. You tell me your secret if you did. Uh, and he finally uh, caved in. And so this would not be the last time that Samson would fall prey to the manipulation uh, of a pagan woman. So he foolishly tells her his secret. I always wonder what he thought was going to happen, right? After he told her the secret, what did he think was going to happen? She didn't want the answer for her own knowledge. Uh, she immediately goes and tells the Philistines who answer the riddle. And he grumbles, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved the riddle. Well, who told the heifer to begin with? He did, right? So it was all on Samson. It's not on her. Uh, uh, it's certainly not a complimentary thing to, to call your wife a heifer. Uh, first of all, it's a big cow, right? Uh, but also, it's a cow with a very stubborn nature. Uh, so, you know, not off to a great start in terms of, of this marriage. Uh, but her persistence, combined with Samson's weakness, extracted this secret. Well, Samson lost the bet. He hadn't planned to lose the bet. He had no plan for how he paid it off. But one thing he wasn't going to do was to pay this thing off out of his own pocket. Uh, so Samson takes his revenge. And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. Well, now this is the second time we're told that the Holy Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily. So he went down to Ashkelon, which is one of the five cities. We talked about this last week. Uh, he lives uh, here around Zora Eshtaol. Uh, Ashkelon is all the way down here on the coast. It's one of the five Philistine cities that they had established. I just want you to think back as, as we've read chapter 14 now, how many times we've heard the phrase, they went down or they were going down. Now, sometimes that's a topographic thing, like you always come down from Jerusalem because it's high. Uh, and you did have to go down a little bit to go from Zora uh, to Timna, just a few miles west there. Uh, there was an elevation change. But oftentimes, going down in the Bible is a very bad thing. 
if you read the first chapter of Jonah, uh, just notice how many times Jonah goes down to Joppa, down into the boat. Over and over again, Jonah goes down to get away from the Lord. Uh, and so we see Samson and his parents continuing to go down here uh, from Zora, uh, and they're falling deeper into sin. Uh, Samson is going to continue uh, to fall deeper into sin. So he goes down to Ashkelon. He kills 30 Philistines there, and he takes their clothing to pay the debt. Now Samson, in his mind, he's taking personal revenge against the Philistines. But God is using this sin even uh, to fulfill his own plan. God was looking for an occasion against the Philistines, which we learn in verse 4. So God, Samson does God's holy will, uh, even though uh, he's doing it for his own sinful reasons, which shows us again that all things are tools in God's hands that he uses to accomplish his will. <clears throat> well, we learn that Samson's anger burned. Well, it burned against his fiancée. He was really angry with his fiancée. So he did not go home to consummate the marriage or go back to Timnah to consummate the marriage after the seven days. Instead, he went home to his father's house. Now, it would be a very shameful thing for the woman and her family to have the man not come back uh, and finish off to complete this marriage. So from her father's standpoint, better for her daughter to be married to someone else after the seven days than not to be married at all. So to avoid disgrace, her father gave her to a companion who had been his friend, is what the uh, NASB says. Uh, most other translations call uh, the man his best man. Now, remember... The best man was supplied by the Philistines. So Samson didn't know this guy. They, they, did, they weren't friends. They didn't have a relationship. Uh, he was just appointed for duty by the Philistines. Now Samson didn't want this woman anymore, apparently. But giving her to someone else, as we see at the end of chapter 14, is going to be a cause for further revenge. Uh, that will transition us into chapter 15 next week. But in this chapter, Samson reveals his sinful nature uh, in spades, right? Pride. Anger, revenge, desire for wealth and sexual satisfaction, disobedience to his parents, disobedience to God, his law, his vow, uh, and his desire to please himself. Uh, these are all very common sins, even among uh, people in the church today. Uh, but Samson's story shows us that God can redeem and use sin. He allows us to have free will. Uh, we, we get it right sometimes, we get it wrong other times, uh, and God still uses our choices for his purpose. He doesn't want us to sin, but still he is sovereign even over our sin. And he is merciful, as we see in the book of Judges, uh, and we see that we deserve judgment, and still uh, those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ get his mercy and get his grace. So let's wrap up with a few applications. The first one is that God's way is best. You know, they never should have been in this situation, right? If the Israelites had been faithful, they would have conquered the promised land. They would not, had, would not have had to deal with this Philistine menace at all. God gave them the land. He said, go, take it, and I will be with you. And all they had to do was obey and trust God's power. And they disobeyed either out of complacency or lack of faith uh, or comfort. But for whatever reason, uh, they just failed to do what God told them to do. And still, God was merciful to provide them with judge after judge to try to help them. But still, they never should have needed that. 
And so God's way is best. Do what God says. If Samson had done, if the other judges, if Israel had done what they were supposed to do, uh, they would not have been in this situation. So it's a lesson for us that we should commit to do what God says. Believe that we can trust God, that he is with us, and then we walk in faith. The next thing is to run from temptation. The Israelites got too close to the Philistine puddle. They lived near them. They lived among them. And then they ended up under Philistine domination. Samson got too close to the puddle. He lived near the Philistines. He went down to Timnah. He saw this wife. He hung out in the vineyard. He saw the, the carcass. He got too close to it. He tried to marry a Philistine woman. And so his life is a picture of Israel, unfaithful, disobedient, rebellious Israel. And so he allowed himself to be lured by a Philistine woman uh, that he'd never even met before. And so what we see in Samson's story is that the people of God should set themselves apart from the world. As Christians, we have to live in the world, but that doesn't mean we have to immerse ourselves in the sin of the world. Uh, Jesus said, or there's a saying that says, Jesus sat with sinners, but he didn't sin with them, right? There's a difference. We could be among the sinners of the world and influence them for good rather than allowing them to influence for us. So, in other words, stay away from the puddle, right? We stay away from the puddle in the sense that we try to avoid temptation, but we still have to influence the world for good. And then the third thing is this. Don't take God's mercy for granted. You know, God kept sending judges to Israel over and over again to rescue them from their oppressors. And perhaps they thought, and perhaps we might think, because God is a merciful God, that there's no consequence to sin because he's such a merciful God and that he'll clean up our messes for us. Well, God is a God of mercy, but he's also a holy God, and he's a God of judgment. And so look at the world today, right? When you look at the world today, when you look at our country today, uh, I don't know exactly what God is up to, but it looks like judgment to me for the sin of our country. And so we ought to be crying out in repentance to the Lord, uh, asking him to forgive our sin and turning to him uh, in full repentance and asking him for mercy. If we have sin in our lives, we have to root it out. Uh, he forgives our sin through the blood of Jesus, but he doesn't always spare us the consequences, does he? Uh, certainly, Samson is going to learn that, and we've all learned that in our own lives, that we do have forgiveness, but we often face the consequences of our own sin. Well, we've received God's forgiveness, so we ought to uh, live for God. Uh, think about how to live God's way instead of our ways. Uh, living for him, not like Samson did. Samson always living for himself. We have to learn to live for God and not for ourselves, because the world needs our witness more than ever not to join in the world's sin, but to show the world uh, what the life uh, that is uh, committed to Jesus Christ looks like. We need to show the world the way to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this story. Um, we see so much of ourselves and so much of our world in Samson's story, Lord, and, and we don't stand in judgment over Samson because if we're honest with ourselves, we are so much like him. Lord, uh, maybe the most human character in the whole Bible uh, is Samson, such a human character, so flawed like we are. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to, to recognize it in ourselves and in our society, Lord, and help us to be agents of change, to affect the society for good. Lord, it'll only happen by the power of the gospel. We don't put our faith in governments. We don't put our faith in establishment. Uh, Lord, we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves us from the power of our sin and who can effectuate real change, Lord. We thank you for these truths, and we praise your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.